G'day everyone, welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining us again. By way of introduction, today's guest is the Head of Supply Chain and Quality Systems at Ground Probe. Can I welcome Neil Corden to the podcast? How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for inviting me to speak. I really appreciate it. It's hallowed ground now. This is with that many podcasts under your belt. It's uh, (laughs) very privileged to be asked for my opinion. Mate, I, I appreciate it. Uh, it's uh, feedback's always well received. I don't know about hallowed ground, but it's been a, an interesting, um, interesting pathway. And we met through the podcasting discussions that we had through the Best Practice Network. I'd like to say good day to everyone from the network who might be listening in to the podcast. I hope all of you are listening in at some point. The guests that we have are often sharing very, very um, unique insights into leadership and well worth a listen. So, Neil, again, thank you for joining us. Your leadership and its beginnings, can we have a bit of a sense of where that kicked off for you, mate? Yeah, it's uh, I'm, I've got 32 years of experience so far in working and 15 years of that in, in management or called management leadership. I'm not sure if they're the same thing or not, but I'd sort of class them as such. I probably wouldn't consider myself as being a leader at the stage when I was made a manager 15 years ago, but I'd certainly say the last... 10 years of my time in management, I'd consider myself a leader. My background is in quality engineering and process improvement and starting with sort of 10 years component manufacturing in the UK and then moving into 12 years of automotive tier one supply in the UK and then transitioning across to Australia in 2004. I did a stint as a quality and safety manager for a couple of years and, and then I did some lean training with Uh, Peter Hines from SA Partners, who some people on the call might know, uh, which was fantastic insight and really sort of lit my uh, enthusiasm for for continuous improvement. And that enabled me to move into a role as a CI manager for two years and help to set up an international system from scratch for continuous improvement. And I'm now seven years into my tenure at Ground Probe, where I've done four different jobs so far. And I sort of grouped that in terms of being responsible for helping the company transition its systems and processes from its roots as a technology startup to kind of where we are now, which is a key part of Orica's technology development arm. So it's a fairly senior role. And I've certainly felt that my grasp on the concepts of leadership have, have improved a lot in the last seven years at Grand Probe. It's been an amazing opportunity to, to develop my own skills. I would guess you've met a lot of leaders as well as trying to develop your own leadership style. And, and like you said, that takes time to do. I think time is the critical factor there. I'm, I'm not suggesting by any stretch that people can't learn the craft of being a leader very quickly, but I think experiences happen over you know certain time periods and you need that to progress yourself. So again, uh, drawing on that experience, if we can, mate, defining leadership, how do you define the concept? I say, I'll give you a definition definition as I see it now probably would have said many different things over the years in fact when I first started in, in management and sort of leadership I wouldn't have had the first clue how to define it it was very much around task-based sort of management when I first started but now looking back from the opposite end of that experience chain I'd say that the primary thing is to grow great people is to develop capability in your team and ultimately put yourself out of a job that is kind of how I would say that's the kind of prime directive for me as a, as a leader is to is to grow good people. That's the, the job. Uh, and then all the rest of those things are a byproduct is actually achieving the, the goals of the team. They're, they're kind of a byproduct is that the real joy for me is in seeing setting direction and vision and helping define the why and then kind of supporting the team to be able to grow. So maintaining motivation, creating a safe, safe psychological space where people can be themselves without any fear of judgment, without any fear of failure, they can make mistakes allow them to take risks 
I'd say it's got like, elements of parenthood in it. Certainly, you know, as I've got older and I've got to the stage where I've got grown-up kids and grandkids, I certainly can see the parallels between parenthood and being a really good leader. Nurturing the team, teaching fairness and discipline where needed, teaching them how to fish, um, constantly putting people at the heart of what you do and to try and get that win-win outcome for the team and the individuals, but also for the business to maintain that forward motion and career of the team, but also achieve the team goals. For me, you know, I've always tried to stay in coaching mode. My my history, if I look back on it now, is I often would go into directive mode because I thought everyone was looking to me for answers. And that's kind of a wrong turn for me. I kind of learned that through hard-won experiences that you know, your job isn't to dispense answers. Your job is to ask, what do you think? Um, but listen to what people say and help coach them to understand uh, logical reasoning, that kind of thing, critical thinking. But setting clear standards of work behavior, modeling the values uh, that you hold dear, that the company holds dear, setting clear purpose and vision, remaining consistent and dependable for the team so that you know that you'll, that they know that you'll always throw them a lifeline if the water gets too deep for them, but they feel confident to swim. Being there for the advocate for your team, being the main cheerleader for the team and walking alongside them, not necessarily ahead of them or behind them, pushing them, um, shielding them from unnecessary stresses. I think that's a key component of leadership is often when you're in, the, in a higher position, there's a lot of things that happen above you that if you carried all of that communication through to your team would cause them unnecessary stress. So I think there's a degree of shielding your team from the unnecessary um, elements of the senior management stuff. But yeah, to be a shameless promoter of the team and, and nurture people to deliver great people is what I see the role of leadership to be. Yeah, appreciate that. That's uh, quite a comprehensive definition. And, and by the sounds of it, it's sort of obviously changed over your time in, in different roles. I'm, I'm finding that it's, it's a typical response from the people, at least that I've had some um, some of these conversations with. I wonder though, and if we can unpack what, what you just spoke about there before we get onto the next topic area, that as you've come up in the leadership game and uh, you're not the first and I don't think you'll be the last to make connections between parenting as, 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 as a way to compare that that role and the leadership role is having having the judgment to know when to cut the umbilical cord and let people make mistakes versus shielding them from the worst of what might come up. And I, I get the uh, motivation to do that because you want to protect your team and you want your team to be as high functioning and functional as it can possibly be. But I would come at it a little different and my thinking would be let them take a few lumps and bumps because complete blanket protection is like helicopter parenting. It, it works for a while. Dealing with some of the, the slings and arrows of uh, being in a position in a team is something people need to experience. Would you agree, disagree? What, what would your view on that be, mate? Yeah, I'd say it really does depend on the people in your team. It's, there's no wrong and right answers to any of this stuff. I think, you know, to me, the right answer is that you, you, you've got to look at your individuals in your team and understand the strengths and weaknesses of each individual and what support they need. And in some cases, you'll have A performers that really don't need much support at all. And actually, you can get them to help you coach other people. And then you've got people at the other end of the spectrum who might be anti-establishment, who anti-management, who, you know, can, can contaminate the team. So there's all, all spectrums of human... Uh, behavior within that so i think there's no there's no black and white answer to that i think yeah cutting the umbilical cord certainly if you've got somebody you feel is nervous to make mistakes like the kid with the, the bike with the training wheels on you take the training wheels off and you let them fall off a couple of times and the next thing you know they're riding without the training wheels i get what you mean you bring up a good point and i've often uh to my detriment not followed up when it was 
when this point is brought up in conversation that you're dealing with human beings. And do you think in the role you've got now, but in, in similar roles you've, you've had in the past, that as you're on the come up, the amount of work to do with human beings exponentially grows and there's a difficulty that's unique to some leadership roles in that the majority of the time you're dealing with human resource, um, human being issues and not the operational stuff. And how much of a, a, a brain-twisting, gut-punching thing is it to try and uh, manage the workload from the people stuff to the operational stuff because you still have to achieve certain things in that role as well uh, because you have uh, higher-ups to account to. So how do you, how do you find the balance there? Is, is there a balance? Yeah, again, I think it depends on the individuals in your team. If I look back on the various teams that I've managed over the years, I think, you know, when it's taken me a long time to get to the stage that I'm at now, but I've got, I'm really, really confident in the team that I've got. They're an awesome bunch of people. And there's, you know, most of my time is spent on people. Now it's mostly spent on development of people. I don't have to worry necessarily about the business outcomes because because the team is so good and we've got to a really good stage that the, the, there's more time on people when the team is underperforming ironically you probably get less time to spend on the people because you're more focused on the fact that the outcomes aren't being delivered and you're more transactional so it, i think it's a hard battle actually to get depending on the individuals it's a hard battle to get to a really well-functioning team of people where you can focus more on them and the development of their careers and giving them opportunity and creating ability for them to give more input to the business than than the opposite end of the extreme, which is where, you know, there's a lot of issues with the people, but you don't get time to spend with the people because you're too busy dealing with the outcomes of not having a high performing team. I don't know if that answers the question, but it's no, that uh, very much, very much. I, I always find that interesting in, in speaking to, to different leaders on, on, in this particular forum that you work in different industry sectors and in the industry sector that you work in, there are there will be some unique issues that you've got to deal with. And the fact that you've potentially got to service clients is another layer of complication on top of that. And I look more power to you. I think finding that balancing point and keeping your own mental health in check and making sure you're not overstressed, is it's an art form. If I could go back and sort of tell the younger me, you know, give myself some tips, I would definitely sort of say that if the thing, if things aren't being delivered and it's the people issues, is you need to carve out the time to deal with that. Dealing with poor performance in particular is really, really, really important and something that I haven't historically done that well. I've definitely learned how to do it better. But I think, you know, not, not actually making time for the team when things aren't going so well is actually detrimental to your, as you say, your own stress levels and your own mental health. Because you, And it takes a very long time to get out of that situation if you don't devote the time. Um, I listened to some podcasts with a, a friend of mine did this podcast ages ago, and he said, you know, if you're in that situation, you've got to carve out at least an hour a week just to focus on the team, just to take yourself out of the transactional, think about the people, make a list of everyone on your team, make a list of the ups and downs and the pluses and minuses and work out what it is you're actually going to proactively do to get out of that situation. If you don't make that time, you're constantly paddling against the tide. And I think that can be really, really hard and very stressful and it goes on for a long, long time. So sometimes you've got to bite the bullet as well with poor performance and you, you have to, you know, no one wants to put somebody on a performance improvement plan. But sometimes that is the appropriate thing to do and it's only fair to 
to them as an individual as well because to me that means that there's a mismatch there somewhere between the role that they're in and what you're expecting of them so it's not necessarily about the individual sometimes it is but not very very rarely i would say more often than not it's a mismatch between that person's capabilities and the role that they're in and maybe there's something you could do to set them up for success instead of um, you know performance improvement manage them out so yeah i think that that side of things is is very difficult to get out of if you don't devote the time to it so i think that's that would be my top tip for anybody who's coming through that sort of pipeline at the moment if you've got you know a team of 15 or 20 people and you've got a couple of people in there who are struggling they're real got some problems and they're creating some issues for you is to spend time on those people whether that be i mean set them up for success if you can but if they're affecting the team um, some of the early feedback i got from the rest of the team was they felt that there was a mismatch in the standards of performance that was accepted so if you accept poor performance everyone who's really working hard looks at those individuals and says well if they're getting away with it why am why am i trying so hard so that can contaminate the pool Every one of these things is contextual and there's such a diverse range of things that could be happening with individuals, you know, their personal lives, their jobs, the fit for their jobs, the actual business itself and the success or failure of the business, the pressure that you're under under individual work circumstances. And I think that's why that's why there's a such a diverse range of opinions when you do these leadership podcasts is because it's like baking a cake. You know, there's so many different ways to do it to get to the same outcome couple of things to pick up on. Thank you for answering one of my later questions about looking back on your, your leadership pathway. So we'll get we'll get back to that one a bit later. But I think one of the things that, that comes out quite strongly, and I, I'm, I'm in your camp definitely with this, is performance management of whether they're team members or contractors is a difficult conversation because you don't want to put pressure and or make people feel like crap. But um, at the end of the day, things need to be delivered and there are responsibilities beyond yourself and the team member. And that's the the viability of the business. And so uh, this idea of, of having difficult conversations, nobody likes doing it, but you have to do it. And I definitely, I definitely think there are better ways to have those conversations than tearing strips through someone, um, depending on the leader, uh, potentially not ref, uh, um, reverting back to the blame game as opposed to trying to tease out where better performance needs to be managed managed, and whatever that planning process is to get that to happen is necessarily a difficult conversation because something has gone wrong and identifying what that is um, can be multi-layered it, it may be something outside the team member and you you just uh, brought up a perfect example if team members are feeling that there's a different standard for people and the person you're trying to performance manage has that idea that the standards are not the same for everyone and they're in effect rebelling against the the powers that be that there's some difficult conversations there and that may be a reflection of the leader not setting the same bar for everyone that you know the the same level of of accountability for everyone that and that you know to be fair that is something that is an iterative process because sometimes that will need to change and you've got to have the communication chops to be able to tell people where that's changed and why there's a change there so it gets um gets a bit murky in some senses but you've got to have the conversation and so my question to you would be do you find it personally difficult to have those difficult conversations or is it something that has become easier over time it has become easier over time with experience. I, I, I hate that. It's the worst part of the job and it's the part that you know, everyone likes to talk about success and all the positive sides of leadership. But the reality is that some parts of it really suck. And those parts in particular, you know, where you've got to sit somebody down and, and do a disciplinary. And I've kind of learned to distance myself from that and think this is this is not personal. It's not about me. 
you're going to look at the whether they whether the person is a good fit for the role is this something i could have done differently and once you get to the point where you realize there's nothing you could have done differently and you've done all the right things to support the person then you've got to basically help them with a the transition to, to to find another role or whatever it is that you need to do so you've got to do your best for them but then there's a point where you step off and you say i've done what i could do and like the parent thing i'm a responsible parent at this stage sometimes you've, you've got to you've got to rip the rip the sticking plaster off um for me as well i've sort of learned how to spot some of the hallmarks of when you're banging your head against a wall one of those top tips i'd sort of say there is when you do performance evaluations like formal performance evaluations the, the people that are the most difficult to 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 resolve those difficult conversations are the ones where you really need to focus on the performance issues are the ones who really score themselves very highly but you score them very low they've got a lack of self-awareness of the fact that they're actually not performing they think they're doing a great job and you think they're doing a terrible job that that's that's i've found that to be a common pattern is that people who really aren't doing a great job who are underperforming in a, in a really bad way and you just think they 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 need to be dealt with are the ones who rate themselves most highly in the role that they're in and that that pattern's held true all the way through and that, that's for me that's a this is where I need to spend my time because you can't have that. That's this, and if you can't get that clarity of understanding, and it often comes with a lack of self awareness on the part of the individual. They just are not self aware of the fact that there is a standard that needs to be set, and they're nowhere close to it. So yeah, I hate those conversations. Everyone, I think, hates those conversations. Some people just seem to breeze through that. I actually still go through a bit of personal agony prior to those things. You know, lose sleep the night before that kind of thing. Um, which is probably not healthy. It's got better over time the more you do it, but it's never an easy thing. It's never a pleasant thing. But no. all you, for me, all you got to do is make sure you've done everything you can do, and then if if that's if that's the case, then you've got to help that person understand that this is not fair on them. You know, it's just too hard for them. It's not a pleasant situation for them to be in, and, and make the transition as quick as you can. Be more common than you think, man. I think nobody wants to deliver bad news, or or the ultimate being a decision that the person's going to be let go, and that's that's another level of of angst as well, because you 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 don't want to cost someone their livelihood. But unfortunately, sometimes there's problems with fit, there's problems with commitment, or all, all that stuff that that needs to be dealt with i've i haven't had the experience you've had in a organization where potentially you might have even a hr step in to help with that process and i don't know a lot about the hr function in, in medium to larger organizations so i've tended to work in smaller um, advocacy businesses or government and so it's not an area that i'm terribly familiar with but from what i do understand of it it yeah there's some difficulties there and it's just another layer of accountability for the leader particularly if you have to manage through a process that is um a difficult one this and and thank you for having this this part of the chat with me because it leads into the next topic area which is this this idea and it's not my idea and i did coin the phrase but uh, i use it for, for the purposes of our discussion obviously is this idea of a lonely road of leadership is it really a lonely pathway or is it lone, is it as lonely as you make it neil i think it's that same answer it depends on the team i think it, it can be certainly there's elements of it where you have to create a distance between yourself and your team members um arm's length has always been difficult to do for me i've, I've always i'm a very affiliative person i like to participative affiliative that's kind of my style and i think that works really well when you've got a really good team and there's a really good dynamic it's you can be friends and you can be you know work colleagues and it works really well but if you've got you know lack of performance or some other issues going on there there's got to be a distance and i've certainly you know in the past 
become a little bit unstuck with that, with being too friendly with people that there's performance issues with. And then it makes those awkward conversations almost impossible, extremely stressful because you've then got a conflict between your, your personal uh, relationship with that person and, and the, the work relationship. So in that respect, I think you've always got to maintain some sort of professional distance. You've got to keep a lookout for people that are taking advantage when you do extend that sort of participative, affiliative style to make sure that there are people who will, will see that in, in your management style that will take advantage of that. And I think as you get more advanced in your career, you tend to be able to spot those people more readily. But I think the most important thing for me is to just to remain authentic. You don't have to be arrogant to be a leader. You know, you don't always, you can't always expect to be liked. There's, there's a certain element in there, but you must remain authentic to yourself. So for me, I'll always be open and friendly with people. And I do still find it difficult to maintain that sort of arm's length relationship with people. At the moment, for me, it's not a problem because I've got a really good team. Everyone gets on really well. We're, we're a great bunch of people. So it's just like, I'm just one of the team. We all get on well. So in this at this point in time, I would say, you know, the leadership thing isn't a lonely thing for me in the past. Certainly has been. And I find myself kind of, it's difficult to have friends at work sometimes when you've got to be in that sort of uh, awkward conversation situation. So, but I'd say there's, there's never that moment when you can walk past poor performance, regardless of who it is. And you know, if you walk past that, you condone it. So you've got to maintain that authenticity and the standard. And that in itself can separate you from, from your team. Trying to keep a professional distance in a team is difficult, particularly if it's a high-performing small team because you're part of that cog, you're, you're part of that system. There's nothing stopping you being friendly and being collegiate and, and trying to get the best out of people. And you know, having a laugh is an important part of any time at work because you're there for a, for a long time. But that, again, I'm talking about uh, leadership as an art form, finding what the sweet spot there is. Take some time and, and you'll uh, obviously make mistakes. I find it interesting and, and th this could be a topic for a whole other series of podcasts and I, I might actually do this. This, this. this idea that leaders feel they need to be liked. I fell into that thinking many, many years ago and once had a few more years under my belt and lived some life and experienced some things that you experience with family and, and having kids and, and living some life that I really don't give a crap whether people like me or not. I just want to be a professional person and whether you like me or not, there's some benefits to that, but I, I want to deal with people on a professional level and this this comes from a person who hasn't had your experience dealing with teams so i i come at it from a slightly different angle and it's a spectrum i think I, I think there's no right way to do that but i have worked for people that completely isolate themselves from the team and they are a figurehead of sorts and um but but they do have the skills to do the people stuff so I'd say I come back to my parenting analogy. It's exactly the same thing as being a parent. You know, you, you want you want to inspire your kids. You want to inspire your team. You want people to to look to you for for leadership, behavioural cues, that kind of thing. But sometimes you have to be the bad cop, and sometimes you have to say no. And you know, it's never pleasant telling your kids they can't have something they don't want. And I look at it in terms of that. I don't want to be liked necessarily. Everyone wants to be liked. I don't want to be liked. I want people to see me as somebody that can inspire confidence. That. I'm going to do the right thing regardless of what it is. And the right thing sometimes might be to say, I'm sorry, but no, you can't, you can't do that or that's not acceptable. And people would respect that. That's what I, I strive for is that people respect me regardless because they know that whatever I'm doing is the right thing. And if they see that I'm telling them no, then they respect that and go, oh, I must have stepped over a line there somewhere. 
which is how you would sort of see parenting. So I'm coming back to my parenting analogy on that one. Yeah, I can't disagree. Measuring success, Neil, it can happen in lots of different ways. So as a leader, what's your measures for success, of success, sorry? So I've got a few things thinking about here. We do some formal measurement of this stuff in terms of a net promoter score, which is a system of measuring sort of satisfaction, if you like. We use that for our customers. We also use that for our employees. And my team's currently sitting at a net promoter score of 50%, which is actually really good. It's probably world-class. I mean, it's more than half of the team or about half the team would actively promote working within this team to friends and family, that kind of thing. 50% sounds quite low, but actually on the scale of things, the way it's measured is... Uh, that's a really good score. So there's a there's a you know a two decimal points measurement system, but then there's the other non tangible stuff, which is for me a happy team. I uh, I got a little anecdote there on that is that uh, you know I arrived at work the other day feeling a bit kind of down. We've got a lot of things going on, and I'm thinking I'm about a two out of ten in terms of like my personal you know motivation today. I'm struggling, and I've got to not show that to people. And one of the uh, we had a, we'd sort of borrowed somebody from another team, and they'd come and join our team. And you know I was beating myself up about all the things that were not doing well and this guy came up to me and he said I just want to let you know that I've only been on your team for a couple of weeks I think it's the best team I've ever worked on I've never been anywhere that's so safety focused a way that people's ideas are listened to never never in my working life have I come across that and I just want to let you know I think it's an awesome team and I wish I could stay on your team and you know that to me was a real measure of success that although I was beating myself up about all the you know tiny little things that maybe weren't going that well today Somebody had come into our environment and said, this is the best he's ever seen. That to me was a, was a really clear measure of actually the culture that we built. And although I'm reflecting on the two negatives, he's looking at the hundred positives. I think de delivering results with a minimal stress, that's one thing I'd say. Things running smoothly, good processes and processes that evolve with lots of input from the team and a vibe of creativity. That's certainly a grand probe. That's one of the things that is palpable in the air there's a, everything's changing all the time because everyone's always contributing these little tweaks here and there that, that improve the day and just you go home knowing that tomorrow's going to be easier than it was today because everyone's contributed to tuning up the the machinery that makes it work which is a fantastic climate so to me the, the, that's the success really is to see a really creative team with a, a vibe of you know creativity in the air where people are you know people are excited to come to work because they they know that if something gets in their way it's an opportunity and i know that sounds like a kind of cliche that it's an opportunity not a problem but people genuinely on my team would say what can we do about that that's kind of like oh, yeah, something went wrong what can we do about it it's almost an excitement to, to come across something that doesn't run smoothly so um so for me that that is so we've got you know net promoter score 50 percent, but i think that comes from having that climate that you know everyone's contributing and that score sorry was for your team or for the organization the organization's actually got a 50 percent team uh, 50 percent score i haven't actually seen this year's result from my team but it was 50 percent on my team last year and the, the overall organization's got 50 percent. so i'm not quite sure whether my team did actually improved since last year 50 percent net promoter score is a really good really good score if your customers are giving you 50 percent, you're doing brilliantly but if your internal team are giving you 50 percent, and they always say if you if your employees are happy your customers will be happy so it kind of reflects because we've got the same score internal and external so for me that feels like we've got the recipe just right and i know that because of the constant um, input from the team and the vibe of creativity that it can only get better from here it's not going to roll backwards so to me that feels great because it means that I can step back and actually look at what's taking place and I know that whether I'm there or not, there's going to be improvement. It's not me driving it anymore. It's self-propelled.
the the fact that you're measuring it and trying to understand what that looks like in your own business context is you know something to be to be proud of particularly if you're getting multi multiple ratings from different sources so internal external um, that gives you a good a good uh, what would you call it uh, get the finger on the pulse as to what's happening within the business and that that's 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 a good thing Neil we touched on this in the podcast that we did in that panel session with the best practice network and I'd like to come back to it because you, you then we might be able to go into a bit of a deeper dive here what do you think for you are uh, the core leader capabilities that a leader needs to be effective? I think being people focused and understanding what that means is one of the key things is understanding people. I think if you've got a good sort of empathy with with humans and you understand, you know, maybe a bit of the psychology of, of people and why people do things the way they do things and how to, I mean, I've done a course on uh, mental health first aid as well. That really helped me understand, you know, some of the things when people are having problems, how to spot those things. So uh, being able to read people, I think is one of the most important things, but also being able to switch to different management styles, depending on context. So, you know, one of the things we do is we do like a 360 degree review, that kind of thing. And we, we assess ourselves against uh, the six different styles. So this is very, again, very, I like, I like measurements and stuff like that. So there's the soft and fluffy stuff, but there's also the, the measurement side of things. So we look at directive, visionary, affiliative, participative, pace setting and coaching as six different styles. And we measure, the team gives you feedback on, you know, not specifically those those words, but they give you feedback on your style and it, it pigeonholes those things. And to be able to demonstrate that you've got a really good balance of styles and you can switch between the different types of, you know, when you need to be directive, tell somebody no, tell somebody specifically do something versus, you know, the need to set a vision, that kind of thing. I think the ability to understand the nuances of all those different styles of management and to be able to switch is something that you kind of learn it as you go in, intuitively, but when somebody measures you against it and tells you what it is, you go, oh, wow, I do that. Okay. You know, looking back over the years, no one ever measured me and told me I was doing that stuff, but I was doing it. And it's only now I've actually been measured against that. And I look at my dominant styles versus my less dominant styles. I think I've actually got a good recipe there. The results are pretty good. So I think, you know, understanding people, but understanding yourself and being your own sort of self-aware, not critic. Critic's probably the wrong word because I've been too critical of myself over things, but to be self-aware as an individual, you know, you see the worst of the managers I've ever had are the people who've got no self-awareness at all. Um, emotional intelligence, that's a critical one. And again, some of the worst managers I've ever had have got very low emotional intelligence, which is that same thing. It's that human connection. Because essentially when you're managing or when you're leading, sorry, yeah, it's about humans and it's about developing people and motivating people. And you can't do that if you don't understand people and you can't do that if you don't have high self-awareness and emotional intelligence. So to me, it's the it's the less sort of tangible, measurable stuff. But on the measurable side, there are sort of different styles that are definitely to be able to understand those and develop capabilities to be uh, to express a vision. They're useful tools in the toolkit to know when to switch from one style to another. Yeah, you, you mentioned um, this idea of having a, a, a capabilities toolkit. That that's come up quite a bit as well, and um, I, I can't find a better phrasing for it. But yeah, it, it's your 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 battle kit ready for different things depending on the situation. And again, um, you're not going to know everyone every different method or every different approach, but being aware that different approaches exist or different ways of operating in your 
leadership role is is quite a necessity, I guess. And that we come back to this idea that you build these things over time because you're going to try some things that work and some things that won't work. And that I guess that's to be expected if if you're going to be better at the craft, you you're not going to have the answer all the time up front to get the the, the most optimal outcome. And um, yeah, I've often thought when you get exposed to different models, well, which of these would actually work in the real world? And is it about making yourself making it known to yourself that there are different approaches and you take the bits that you think will work best for you. And so it's not just a a dogged application of one mode of thinking. It's grabbing the best of what's available and making it work for you. I think the pragmatic side of things is something that I think most really good leaders do very well, that they're not, they're not bogged down in one approach because I don't think that's practical or a real, a real skill in, in the current workplace. And as much as I wanted to avoid discussing code, COVID. I guess the way our businesses are shaped now, different leadership capabilities or building different capabilities is going to come more to the fore now because we are working in very different ways. Yeah, it's, I think, I think it's, it's the most important thing. I mean, I've been through lots of these different kind of leadership assessment things like lifestyles, inventory, that, that kind of thing where they talk about blue, green and red behaviours and you, you can get sidetracked by those things by trying to modify. You, you know, I mean, sometimes you've got to modify your approach, but I think the thing that's come out of all of those for me is a clear sense of self. Who am I? What am I about? What type of leader am I? And if the type of leader I am isn't necessarily effective in delivering whatever, what have I got to change to, to make that so? But the, again, they're all just tools in a toolkit. You can get obsessed about these kind of like tools and measurements and things. But I think you have to, you have to have a clear sense of self. And that's why I talk about self-awareness. You understand what kind of a person am I? So that you're not, you know, you're not flippy floppy when you when people are looking to you for guidance. They're not seeing you suddenly change your behaviours because you went on a course. And all of a sudden you start presenting yourself in a different light because then it doesn't come across as being authentic. It's like, what course has this guy been on now he's he's suddenly using different language and conducting himself in a different way so i think for me looking back it's that don't try and modify yourself too much based on some latest you know course that you've been on or some assessment model just have a clear a clear sense of self and understanding that context is everything in, in this game of leadership you need to understand when to use individual tools and don't sort of force this image of yourself out there that's you know you're trying to be richard branson or Elon Musk or something, you know, you are who you are and, you know, you have to apply yourself to the context that you're in to get the best result, but don't sort of force an image of what a leader should be into your you know, psyche, and then people look at you and think you're faking it. Yeah, no, you, you don't. You definitely don't want that. Let me ask the following. Now, we we did talk about this in a previous podcast, but and maybe this is a well, no, not maybe. This is an opportunity to dig a little deeper. Nature, the nature versus nurture question: Are leaders born or are they made? Cool. That was a difficult. One. I remember talking about this before. I think yeah. Again, it's the. I think there's elements of both. I think there's there's a certain level of, as I said, the emotional intelligence and self awareness that comes from your own like level of EQ that you've got. That is an essential part of that. And if you don't have that, I think it's very difficult to be an effective leader. Some of those things you just can't learn. So there's elements of nature in there, but there's certainly elements of nurture. You know, you have people coach you as you go through your working career. You have rough experiences, and as I say, if I look back and 
look at some of the things I've done in the past. If I was advising myself now, there's lots of things I've done that I wouldn't have done. So I've learned that through the nurture, the environment that I've been through, the coaches that have given me good tips. And as we've said before in previous podcasts, from watching people do a really shocking job of it and going, I'm never going to do that because, you know, it's I've been on a victim of that as well. And, you know, you certainly never want to do those things to people. And I think those are things that you learn as you go. So I think in the general mix, I think there's some things in there that are non-negotiable, that are, that are nature, that you just, I don't think you'll have an effective leader if there's certain characteristics or traits as a human that you need. Everything else is is nurture. It's experience and learning and education and, you know, but you need to have that level of EQ and self-awareness to be able to do it. Otherwise, you know, you can't, you can't learn everything from a book and be effective yeah. as a leader. The other element to consider, um, get your views on this, is having the opportunity to apply your leadership then then bricks up this idea about leadership is a choice. You either choose to be a leader or you choose not to be a leader. And I've met some people that, that are nominally called leaders that should never have chosen a leadership pathway because they've got no EQ, they've got no idea of what empathy is or, the, or they don't have an understanding of human interaction and what those dynamics look look like even the niceties of walking into an office and instead of expecting someone to grab your coffee that you bring in coffee for the team or you do those little human being things that just stand you out as a decent human being not not someone's leader not the head of the team just the niceties of life and I, I know this for some that will be listening does they don't give a crap about this stuff but I have to tell you from my experience it's the people that did those little things on a regular basis that can make a team feel make a workplace and a team feel that much better when people do the little things without being asked and just get in and muck in and make someone else's day just that little bit better. Um, I do recall on the, on me starting to work, I was working in the public sector and we had a team, uh, he was a junior team leader, but he was a leader of at least four of us and random uh, things like coffee runs, uh, sugary things at the times of day when you needed a sugar hit was never asked was never expected to do any of it and it got to the point where then we all started rostering ourselves onto you got the coffee tomorrow you got the biscuits or the 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 sugar hit we need and not good for your overall health to be eating crap all the time but it it was it was something to bond the team and I didn't really think about that stuff until many years after I'd left that area and it was a way to distract people from the humdrum of your day to be able to have a break to have a coffee or god forbid for those that smoked you'd go outside and have a smoke together with that with that person or someone else just uh, uh what would you call it a uh, a part of the day that wasn't just about the work and again humanizing the workplace is a big deal but some people don't give that any credence and i think it's an important part of being uh, particularly in an office environment in which I've worked in many times that uh, the best office experiences and workplaces that I've had is where people did that just as a matter of being nice people, not doing it because their position description suggested that they should do. Yeah, I, I almost think there's two groups, and it's probably not binary, but there's two groups of people in there. And they always say that people that want to be in charge shouldn't be allowed to be in charge by default. They're the people that probably, you know, they've got this idea of what, you know, being the leader is and being, it's being in charge. It's not necessarily 
necessarily being the leader. And then there's the other people who are more humanistic who understand that we're all just here to do a job. Let's just make it as pleasant as we can. Let's deliver as much opportunities for individuals. You know, all the, all the humanistic stuff, buying donuts or whatever it is, all that, all, all that good stuff. And they, like myself, I would say I'd probably fit into the second category, I hope. Those that want to lead, uh, maybe shouldn't be leaders, you and Chris Morgan uh, have made that fairly clear that they're the people you want to watch out for. That uh, And I think what he meant, and I, I don't, I can't disagree with is those that want positions of authority for the sake of having authority over people they're the people that probably shouldn't be leaders or at least should be mentored into different ways of thinking where that's concerned and look these people exist i've met them in many walks of life you you can learn things from them too i think the uh it's always a good thing to have in your in your toolkit experiences with people that are just either shitty human beings or shitty leaders because you get to learn things about what not to do see situations and I've, i've i've been i've seen this and it made me feel completely uncomfortable where someone's tearing strips over a team member in front of the other team members without it being a one-on-one conversation away from the workspace. There's nothing more toxic than thinking if I get in trouble, I'm going to get my ass handed to me in a public forum. I think there's there's ways and means of doing things and screaming and being unprofessional in front of someone's face is just not the way to go. If you're a loud, obnoxious person outside the workplace, all the best to you. But in the workplace, there's a, a level of, of professionalism that I think is just expected. It doesn't matter what level of leadership you are. You, you can't treat people a certain way because it's just not the way things should be done. Have you met people like this that, that have done what I'm talking about that have made that work environment just feel like crap? Not at, not where you are now, but have you heard of or seen it yourself? I've seen exactly the scenario you described. We used to have a, an operations manager back in the UK. I've got loads of good anecdotes about this particular individual, but he was in his father was an ex-marine and I think his father used to thrash him on a regular basis and he obviously had quite a, a rough childhood or something because he used to bully people on a regular basis and the guy was only like five foot tall but he used to stalk around the place and and there was one particular occasion every Friday morning we used to have a, a new product introduction meeting in this old conference room and every week without fail he obviously had it in his sort of strategy book he would attack somebody publicly and it would be a different person each week and you could literally see him looking around the room trying to decide who am I going to single out this week to annihilate them in front of everybody and he thought that was the right way to set the standard of behavior is to pick somebody who is doing something less than you know what he wanted and embarrass them in front of everybody so that no one would do that anymore and uh, he did this regularly and then he one time he picked this business unit manager guy who was obviously having seen this a lot of times he thought if this guy picks me i'm going to tell him what i think of him and, and he picked this guy and he got up and he walked right up to him and they stood like side by side and this guy's five foot tall and this guy was six foot tall so he's looking down at him and he said to him, um, there's only one person in the world I would allowed to speak to me that way. And that's my dad. And you're not my father. So don't ever speak to me that way again. It's so disrespectful. If you do, I'll walk out of the door straight away. And he did not know what to do because he was a bully. And it changed his, his old MO changed after that because he that was the first time I think anybody ever called him out on that behavior. Uh, and he'd obviously been doing it for years in what, in, in what he thought was a successful manner because nobody had ever stood up to him and said, I'm sorry, mate, but no, that's not, that's not how it's done. And that guy was an absolute hero to me. Still is, because I think that is, if anybody, as you said, if somebody said that to me now with the, you know, with life experience, I would just go, I don't want to work for you if that's the way. In fact, I actually did that at one point in my career. I said, I don't want to work for you if this is how it's going to be. Do you want to re- press reset at this point? Because this is not how it should be. And I, I'm not personally prepared to take that as a standard of leadership from somebody else. So 
and I would certainly never expect, I would never do that to somebody. So yeah, it's it's not good. Um, I regret when I was younger when I saw that that I didn't have the nous to say something, even if it put my own job at jeopardy. But I think most people are protected, are protective of their jobs. So they don't, they don't want to get involved or you think someone else is going to say something. And typically when I saw someone react and it was very rarely, but on occasions, and this was in a, a a shared lunchroom space when something like that happened it wasn't as formal as you were talking about we were all sitting down and someone decided to tear strips over a younger person in the room it was a uh, one of the admin team leaders that was there and she'd been there for years and she knew the joint this is the kind of person you wanted to get to know because she knew the history of the place and she happened to be one of the funniest ladies I'd, I'd ever met and when this this gentleman started tearing strips through this this junior she got up and the tirade that came out of her mouth it wasn't swearing it was what he why what he was doing was wrong and I, I just sat there laughing and looking at this guy going this I don't think this person's ever had this conversation or someone throw this shit at him and he, he did obviously he did change immediately but I, I think it had some impact on him going down the track unless he's got no human feelings whatsoever but yeah look and, and uh, I, I guess to, to wrap things up one one of the things that you're talking about there is managing in the workplace so that you don't create a toxic work culture. And I think it's easily done. And I think it's incumbent on leaders to step up and identify that poor behavior and do something about it. Now, uh, the irony is you don't do that in the public or stupid way that the, the person you want to change has done, but you've got to, you've got to stamp it out some way because it just creates resentments. And the idea that any any kind of behavior is tolerated will create toxic teams and you don't want that because the cost of trying to fix something like that over time becomes a lot more difficult and it makes everybody's job that much more difficult because if there is no standard at, at which someone's going to call someone out on their crap then why work there and i've certainly seen that as well i've seen people leave ground probe and go to work at other organizations and they've, they've said what a terrible toxic organization it is and when i've sort of asked them about why is that what is the difference and they've said it's the leader it's the person at the top it starts there and we always say it always rolls downhill but when the leader starts with a, a culture of fear and there's a fear of failure and everyone starts then behaving in a, a different way and i think you know to me failure is the, the best opportunity for growth because it's the only time you really learn anything you don't really learn much at all when you get it right all the time you only learn something when you when you make a mistake and i think you almost want to encourage people to well that's what we do we encourage people to step outside of the normal and try things differently to see what happens certainly this whole thing around diversity in the workplace as well creating this diversity of different um, opinions and then a, a culture of listening to other people so you can listen to other opinions and try things a different way if, if people are living in fear because the leader sets that standard no one tries anything different they always just tread the same pathway and you have a terrible culture and you never grow, you never learn. You'd wonder with some companies that, I don't know if they publish this regularly, but for bigger corporates that might publish their uh, turnover uh, percentages that if the numbers are high, then um, is that because you've got a culture that's partic particularly not a great one? Um, I don't know how often companies in their annual reports will publish uh, turnover rates, but you'd, you'd have to think that high a high turnover number means you've got unhappy people or you're bringing people in that are trying to test out the waters of the culture they don't like it and they piss off and you, you tend to have to start recruiting again but that that's a whole yeah it's well, not i say it's not always that sometimes it's due to the nature of the business and maybe whether the business is successful but i think more often than not you would find if there's a high turnover you'd also find a poor leader at the top of there 
Uh, potentially, and that, that's not a good thing either. Look, Neil, before we go, and you, you kind of answered this question before, but I'll, I'll ask it more formally. And, and if you want to add to it, please do. If you had a chance to go back to a younger version of yourself, what would you say to yourself about being a more effective leader? Yeah, I thought about this one. I think I've got a few kind of things here. One would be you have great intuition, follow your instincts and don't be so hard on yourself. That'd be the number one thing I would say because, uh, you know, over over the years I've done things that I thought were right as I've gone along and they've generally turned out to be the right thing and the outcomes have been good. And if I could go back and say, just have a bit more confidence in yourself, follow your instincts, you've got great intuition and don't be, you be, be self-aware, but don't be so hard on yourself. I'm constantly measuring myself against what I didn't achieve instead of what I did. Um, and be your own supporter and don't confuse confidence with arrogance. You know, have confidence in yourself, have confidence in your decisions and your intuition and don't confuse that with ar- arrogance because I always used to think, well, you can't put tickets on yourself and say, well, I've got this right or I know what I'm doing because you're just going to come across as being arrogant. And I think that was because I'd seen a lot of arrogance in, in senior leaders and I thought, I don't want to be like that. But actually, there's a diff- major difference between confidence and arrogance. So yeah, be your own supporter. Don't confuse confidence with arrogance. Set realistic targets and don't try and bore the ocean. That's my biggest failing now, I'd say, is that whenever I set about doing something, I want to get the nirvana, perfect world stuff, you know, and my targets I've set for myself have always been, not, I wouldn't say unachievable, but probably a bit unrealistic. And the last one I'd say there would be spend as much time as possible on your team. If you're lucky enough to have a team of people, spend as much time as you possibly can on them and don't spend as much time on yourself and the task-based stuff. The more time you spend on your team and the development of your team and the recruitment of the right people, the easier your life will be as the leader and the better the results will be. And it's a great feeling when you get it right. Mate, thank you for sharing your uh, leadership pathway. Before we go, give us a bit of a sense of what Grand Probe does, if you can, please. So Grand Probe is the world's leading supplier of uh, sensors for mining safety. So we, uh, we produce radars for measuring slope stability and lasers for measuring deformation in underground mines. So we save people's lives essentially using our world-class technology. Constantly keeps getting better. We're in 35 countries around the world and we're the market leader. So, and we're a key part of Orica's technology development arm. So it's part of Orica's growth plan is to differentiate their explosives product with all of the, the cool technology that we can bring. Neil, thank you for your time. For those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. We'll catch everyone on the next podcast.